It's Flat RC time. Welcome back. Andrew Sill here coming to you from the land down under with the podcast where we talk all things radio control flight. We're talking radio control planes, helis, and drones. Well, we're back. Uh, still in lockdown. Many states here in Australia are in lockdown, which means not a lot of flying going on. But we can always think about it. We can always talk about it. We can always be working on our models. So there's always plenty to do in this great hobby of radio control flight. Now, our special guest this week is Les Sawyer. Les is the president of the Valley Radio Flyers Club, the host of the Shepherd and Mammoth Scale Fly and Australia's biggest giant scale uh, fun fly event. So we're going to be talking about Les and his hobby and then find out a bit about the Shepherd and Mammoth and uh, what that's all about. So stay tuned. But before we get to that, let's have a look at what's been happening around the traps. Well, not a lot has been happening down here in the land down under at the moment as far as aero modelling goes because most of us are in lockdown. We've got South Australia, Victoria and New South Wales as I record this because we're waiting to see what happens here in Victoria over the next week. But it's not looking good in New South Wales. Feel for you guys being through that experience. The only saving grace for us if you live down in Victoria is the weather's pretty bad. It's not great for flying, but I suppose we can still get in our sheds and work on models and things like that and listen to this podcast as an example as a way of, of practicing our hobby. It was good to see, though, that the IMAC guys up in Queensland at Tin Cam Bay were able to run the IMAC event this weekend, last weekend, and it looked like a really good turnout, uh, which is great to see. And uh, Michael Hobson up there did a good job in promoting it. I saw the, the post on Facebook um, plugging it away and, and you know, little videos and photographs and all that kind of stuff, which is always good to see. I, I love it when people run events and they share the experience by you know taking some photographs and, and videos and stuff like that because, again, it just helped us on our journey. Uh, you know, we've all got smartphones with cameras in them. Just shoot something and share it with the world so that we can join in the fun whilst we're here locked down in other parts of the world. Now, what's been happening? Uh, I've noticed another another couple, I think, of new models, uh, but I want to talk about one of them today, that Horizon Hobbies have come out with under the Hangar 9 brand. Now, I often talk about Horizon Hobby um, and new products because there aren't many other companies coming out with new products like Horizon is. They, 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 you know, it's a big organisation. They've got big teams with developers in different categories. And so we're always going to be seeing new models coming out. And generally the cycle goes with a lot of these manufacturers is they create new products to drive some new sales. And often those products have a short life. So they, they, they keep on producing new ones. You know, there's a lot of aircraft that we can't purchase anymore because they just don't make them anymore because they've moved on to something else or if they do come and make them again they have to be very popular product and uh, there needs to be significant demand so it could be a long time between drinks before we can get access to those models but uh, what's really really noticeable about this product we're going to talk about is it's just it's just another way of helping people get into the hobby I think and uh, up flying very quickly now what I'm talking about is under the Hangar 9 banner, they've they've developed a new stick. Now, the, the stick model aeroplane has been around for a very long time, and and people know that they're pretty good flying platform. They're not the, you know, they're not the uh, prettiest plane around. Even though I don't mind the, the Horizon Hobby ones, they look quite cool. But uh, they've created a new ultra stick. Uh, it's a sixty inch wingspan, run on like a six S um, battery pack, electric. But the interesting thing is it's PNP, so that means it's basically almost like plug it in and go kind of stuff, but it's you've just got to add a receiver uh, to it. 
But so it comes already with the motor mounted, the servos installed, that kind of thing, which I think is a really good thing because we've seen this a lot with foam aircraft, but we haven't seen it with balsa aircraft. And so this is a good way of just transitioning from that, you know, that foam model to a, a good flying balsa kit. Now, I've had the bigger version of this stick, the 30cc, and I liked it. I thought it was really good. A great plane put together. It wasn't that hard to do it. Uh, I sold it, but that's just because I was just trying to cull the fleet. But um, I really love the design of the Hangar 9 sticks. You know, they've, they depart a little bit from the standard stick in the tail area, you know, with the, the, the angular tail, you know, more traditional style tail than what the old sticks had with sort of that rounded uh, uh, tail fin. This model is using, of course, an e-flight motor and, and of course, the Spectrum uh, Smart ESCs, uh, which they're really pushing along with this smart kind of uh, technology, just expanding that integration uh, between um, the, you know, the transmitter, the ESC, and batteries. So, that, so you get a lot of telemetry, basically, as a result of it, and a few other little features, like you can reverse the motor with these ESCs. So you land and put it in reverse to uh, slow the thing down. Uh, so what has this ultra stick got? Well, 60-inch wingspan, as I said, but it's got flaps. Uh, so you can do a few different things with, with your flaps. Uh, comes with a, uh, yeah, we said the E-Flight 50BL brushless motor with an APC 13 by 8 e electric prop. So it comes with that. 60 amp ESC uh, and it will fly on a 6S battery pack between 3,200 and 5,000 milliamp hour for mild to wild sports performance. You know, of course, you put a bigger battery in, increase the wing loading a bit with the extra weight, but you'll get the extra flight time if you want. Uh, or you could you know, go for the lightweight setup for a bit more uh, flickability, if that's a word, uh, at the 3,200 milliamp hour size. Um, what else can I talk about it? Uh, it's got a proper spinner. It's got a spinner as well that is included. Uh, let's look at some of the features. Dress to impress, they say. Well, it's got a yellow scheme. If you've seen the green and white Hangar 9 stick, it's basically the same kind of similar layout, but now they replace the green with yellow, which is a good point to differentiate the different models. Uh, good aluminium undercarriage with um, uh, wheel pants. I like wheel pants on uh, the stick. It really modernizes the look uh, of the of the plane. And from memory, the, the wheel pants are pretty good quality, nice and sturdy uh, wheel pants that came with the bigger version so i'm assuming they'd be about the same lightweight construction uh so it's bolt and ply using genuine hanging iron ultra coat covering factory applied with precision provides an easy to maintain finish easy assembly uh so it looks like it's a two-piece wing uh and you basically mount the wing like you do with other sticks with two wing bolts at the top of the uh of the wing now the, the, when they say easy assembly the problem with these high wing sort of planes is you've got to connect up your flaps and your aileron leads into your receivers you know whether you've got extensions and that kind of thing uh but it's a bit awkward i find sometimes because you've got to plug everything in then you can't see what you're doing and you've got to make sure that you've got enough lead length so that you can uh position your wing and install it comfortably so make sure if you're you might need extensions. I'm not sure how, how this model works, but uh, 
not too bad. Now, wide flight envelope. It's low wing load and practical design combined with large control surface areas. It can be set up with long surface deflection. So you can really get a bit 3D with this. Operational flaps layout. It's a versatile flight envelope to open even wider. So playing with flaps is cool. You can, and I think um, from memory, you can do different things. Like you can do crow and uh, you probably could set up full span ailerons as well if you want for some really crazy roll rates. So it is very versatile. And I think... Uh, when you get a plane like this, having the flaps does allow you to experiment a bit more and try something a bit different. That's one of the things I liked about having the stick. Now, they say that uh, there's a big battery compartment, which that it's interesting. Well, they've got a photo of a 5,000 milliamp hour pack sitting up the front. So obviously there is enough room up the front, but for memory, I didn't think there was a truckload of space. Oh no, I had a, I had a petrol tank up the front, but this is a smaller version. So it appears to fit. And so it's a nice little hatch at the front there to easily get to your batteries, which is really user-friendly friendly kind of plane. Now, uh, so the wingspan is, as I said, 60-inch, 1,524 millimetres. Wing area is square inches, so plenty of uh, wing area there. The length of the model is 1,473 millimetres, so 58-inch. Uh, quite a long tail moment, really. But the stick is a great flying platform. Um, the price of them, let me see. I know that Model Flight will be uh, selling these planes. I'm just getting on my internet now to see what the price might be. But you've got to remember that this thing comes ready to go. Uh, it's all ready to go, uh, which means you gotta, it's going to take you like an hour maybe to... Um, to get the model up and running. Let me just have a look here, ultra stick. Just uh, talk amongst yourselves or so. I punch some things into my iPad. Maybe they don't have it up yet. Nah, they don't have it up yet. But uh, as an example, you know, they're saying $539 for the, uh, 540 bucks for the 30cc. That's just the kit only. I reckon it'll be a little bit more than that because you're getting all the components and everything. But uh, anyway, price will come out. Uh, pretty shortly um horizon is saying from their end it's 550 us so look i reckon it's gonna be 650 700 750 price range maybe for a plane ready to go a balsa plane ready to go it's not too too bad put your uh receiver in there and off you go but the interesting thing for me is this, it's blurring that lines between um you know the foamy sort of ready to go kind of thing now with balsa and i wonder if other manufacturers are going to look towards moving in that direction. It might be a way that they can just value add, get a bit more revenue. You know, it's not going to it's going to cost more, of course. But I think sometimes when we buy these model airplanes, we we look at the airframe cost, but we forget about all the components that <laughs> need to go into it. And if you're buying big planes, it's it's significant cost. So if you get something that's you know sort of bundled together, your unit cost per you know, item might come down a bit. But if anyone's going to do it, it's going to be Horizon Hobby because of their clout and uh, all the uh, all the products they've got access to. But it'd be interesting. Imagine if someone like Extreme Flight started assembling models. But we'd pay we'd pay a fair bit for it. You know, if you think about the labour involved to build these planes, uh, yeah, if you had to build these planes in Australia and sell them, maybe buy them. But uh, but anyway, if you're not much into building, uh, or if you just got into flying and you want to move into that bolster space. Well, something that's a bit more versatile than your trainer plane, I reckon the uh, the 60-inch uh, Ultra Stick PMP from Horizon Hobby, a Hangar 9 Ultra Stick, 
could be a really, really good option. Guest time now, and this week, as mentioned earlier, I've got Les Sawyer joining me. Uh, Les and I, we've been communicating for a number of years, uh, and I said to him a while ago, I want to get you on. We'll talk about the Shepherd and Mammoth event, which is one of my favourite events, and and talk about that, but also hear about Les's hobby. And what you'll find out is Les has been modelling from a young age and has consistently done it, very passionate about it, a really good president out at Shepherd and the Valley Radio Flyers Club. We'll talk a bit about the Shepherd and Mammoth event, which at this present point in time, I'm not sure whether it's running this year or not. One of the challenges that uh, these clubs have is it actually costs them some money to put these events on, whether it be petrol to get the fields done, um, you know, bunting, you name it, whatever costs they've got. Uh, and in the current COVID situation, events have been cancelled at the last minute. We don't know what's going to go on. So I know that they're having a bit of a think about whether to hold the event this year. It's only held in the middle of September at their field out in Shepparton and um, or Caramomus is the correct term. So we will find out. Uh, stay tuned on the Flat Out RC Facebook page. We'll, we'll share any news that we hear about it. It's literally a 50-50 chance this year. Uh, so I don't want to get your hopes up uh, as to whether it's going to be on, but the committee is going to get together and have a chat. But it doesn't mean we can't stop talking about it because the event's not going away. It's been around for a very long time. So stay tuned. Have a listen to Les and I having a bit of a chat about uh, all things model aeroplanes and then uh, Australia's biggest giant-scale fun fly event, the Shepherd and Mammoth scale flying. So over to my chat with Les. I've said this before, but I'm going to say it again, that uh, the, the Les Sawyer is joining me on the podcast and he's a man that's been on my hit list for a long time. Les, thanks for joining me on the Flat Out RC podcast. No worries. Thank you, Andrew. Well, Les, you and I know each other basically because of the, the Shepherd and Mammoth event and uh uh, and so we're going to really have a big deep dive into that event because it's it's the event that I think is the best one in the country as far as uh, large scale um, uh, fun flies go. But before we get into that, let's just share the Les Sawyer story. Now let's start with like where do you, where do you currently live, just so people can get a picture of where you are. I'm in Shepherd in Victoria. Um, oh, I actually live in Shepherd, but yeah, a stone's throw from Shepherd in itself. Yeah, yeah, and the, so. And you're the president of the Valley Radio Flyers Club, which is it's it's south of Shepparton, isn't it? It's just out out of Shepparton. The actual field is at Caramonis. Yeah, it's about uh, eighteen kilometres south of Shepparton. Yeah, yeah. Now it's it's a great field, and we'll, you know, we'll talk more about it. Now, where did where did your journey in aero modelling begin? Um, <clears throat> I suppose my first interest in aero modelling would have been. Probably would have been would have been very very early seventies. Um, I was with my father. We were at a gentleman's place in Yamurka, which um, it just happened to be Graham Powell's, which was at the time the Australian go kart champion. And uh, he was friends with my father, and he was into go karts. And as a, as an, an eight or nine year old, from memory, there was a um, I could see a propeller and a, and the head of a of an engine sitting up on on a, on a rafter on in the shed. And um, Graham must have seen the drill coming out of my mouth looking at it. So he's actually grabbed it down and, um, you know, I was just fascinated with this little engine and uh, he said, oh, he said you can have it. So um, I was, yeah, absolutely uh, over the moon and um, that's how that sort of started. I ended up getting a, a flying wing, uh, I forget the name of the, the it was an Aeroflight kit, um, obviously for Christmas, I suppose. So uh, it would have 
would have been down the track. So I've, I've painstakingly um, made this this aeroplane in the in the back shed and done the tissue and dope thing, and um, yeah, you've got got it going. And uh, I remember Dad saying, oh, "I said oh, I better have first flight." He said, "You might you might damage it." And uh, mm-hmm. anyway, that was the end of it. I think it done about one and a half laps, out, totally out of control, and and buried in the ground. So was that a control line or a radio control? Sorry, control line. Yeah, yeah. okay. Control yeah. Line. So that was the end of that. So I carted that. <clears throat> She's been playing around for years, and uh, um, I tried to resurrect it in, in different stages. Uh, that's when uh, iron-on covering first came out, and I dabbled in that. And uh, I was actually trying to uh, shrink the the covering in front of a radiant heater, and uh, it caught fire. So um, that's the end of that. And, uh, anyway, I, uh, I I sort of didn't do anything for a while, and probably when did I get into it seriously? I I suppose I, I had a. I worked with a gentleman, and uh, he he was into models uh, fairly heavily, and um, he invited me around to have a look because he was telling me about what he had, and he was into into large scale, and uh, I, I went around with interest, and he had a a spacewalker, quarter scale spacewalker, I believe, and it had a two seventy Sato full scale, and he started it up for me, and um, that was it. I was done because my fascination for for engines and um, uh, is, is yeah, I, I probably uh, the engine side of it probably fascinates me more than the rest of it. So uh, you know, as soon as I heard this thing run, I was I was sold. So anyway, he dug out um, he dug out some plans of a, a plane that's called the Pacific Ace, which was an old timer, um, rudder only, um, you know, dihedral wing, and he gave me a handful of balsa and said, "Here, go and build that." So um, I. I, I resurrected a little room in the back of the house and, and I sat in there and uh, I don't think I stopped. Once I started, I don't think I stopped and I scratch built this out of like, you know, quarter be quarter stick, you know, balsa and um, I scratch built this plane, um, covered it in the ironing, iron, iron on film and uh, and that was the sort of the start of it. And I, I, look, I've got to be honest with you, I, I wasn't uh, financially able to, to, to buy the, the gear to, to put in it, they're not the radio and Anyway, he said, look, drop it off around my place. He said, I'll put some gear in it for you. He said, that's the hard part, you know, putting the servos in. So anyway, I dropped it off there and um, I went round to pick um, – well, he, t- he let me know. He said, it's right to go. And I went round to pick it up and here it is. It's got an OS44 stroke in it and was fitted out with a JR um, radio, I think, for, uh, 40 megs in. And um, and I thought, oh, how am I going to pay for this? So um, it was interesting. He said, oh, no, you know, we can sort something out. Anyway, I was lucky I got a tax return fortnight later, so I was able to go and, and pay for this radio and engine, much to my wife's disgust. Mm-hmm. Um, this would have been in around the 91, 92. So, yeah, that's how I started off with the Pacific Ace and um, went out a few times with him and um, um, it's interesting. Um, I won't say it, 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 I, I sort of had trouble relating to him when he was teaching me to fly, so... I had a couple of um, um, lessons with him, and then what happened is I we were growing uh, at the farm I was living on. We were growing oats, 40 acres of oats, and um, I, I got me mate to uh, hand launch this thing, and and, and uh, I thought I'm going to f- learn to fly this. And uh, it took me about three or four goes to learn that you had to put up elevator in when you when you kicked in left or right runner because. Uh, we, we lost this plane, I think, on two or three occasions where uh, an in five foot of oats, pretty hard to find. Mm-hmm. So, 
um, it was yeah. And then I, I learned, you know, that you had, had to put in up elevators. So I actually taught myself to fly um, over these oaks, and because uh, we lived on a bit of property too, so I, I was able to um, uh, fly basically whenever the weather was right, and and I did. I absolutely flew the pants off this old bill. So the way you describe it is so so it's so vivid. I, I'm sitting here just listening, and I've got this picture in my mind of of you. You know, starting from seeing that propeller sticking out in the shed and going, oh, yeah, that'd be me. I'd be the same kind of person going, well, what's that? That's the propeller. There's an engine. Yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. Uh, it still fascinates me. I was thinking as you were talking about engines, you know, it still fascinates me that these engines actually work. These tiny mm. little engines, when you think about what's going on, it is just... Yes. It still amazes me. It absolutely amazes me how, how, how an engine can keep on going. And, and, you know, there's all this talk about you know, electric cars and things like that, which I, I don't mind having a, a, an electric car, but I'll tell you what, a combustion engine, nothing can beat it, I reckon. Yeah, that's correct. Yeah, no, that's uh, – and like I say, you know, that's what sort of – especially the four-stroke side of it, they, they, they absolutely fascinate me. So. Yeah. But, so you, you were flying out at the farm and – did you did you join the local club early on? I yeah, yeah, I, I joined. Uh, I joined the club that would have been in around 90, 19, um, yeah, ninety two. Um, and then, and the hard part was, I want to say, hard part with our our club because it, um, the, the actual fields owned by a cooperative. After you were um, uh, in the club for about twelve months, you're obligated to buy a parcel of shares. Um, at that time, they were two hundred and seventy five dollars. So. Yeah, I had to do a lot of saving, you know, to, to buy my shares. Um, you know, I look back and it was hard to do at the time. But, uh, it's certainly, um, you know, it, you know, you look back and it's definitely worthwhile because it's, you know, it's cemented a place out there for us to, to go and fly whenever we like. That's so. true. What's a share worth now, roughly? Uh, that's $300, yeah. Oh, so it's, uh, yep. it's, it's still not too bad. The you know, my, my clubs that I'm a member of down here in Melbourne is the same kind of setup with a co-op and uh, – yeah, I'll just have to pay my uh, my co-op fee, which was a lot more than three hundred dollars or three hundred. Yeah, yeah. But um, so okay, so you joined the club, and and did that change the hobby for you a bit once you got started to get surrounded by other other hobbyists? Oh, for sure. Um, you know, I, I I sort of outflew the Pacific Ocean, and I wanted to go faster, and you know, I wanted to be able to do rolls, and um, so I ended up with a. Uh, a gentleman had a – was actually a um, – um, 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 oh, what's it? A, um, it had a 40, uh, 40 uh, Magnum, little two-stroke. Um, I can't think of the name of the plane. It was a trainer, um, a high-wing trainer. Anyway, um, he, yeah, um, oh, I can't believe I can't think of it. I'll think of it in a minute. Anyway, he, he was um, – he, he – he wasn't interested in the hobby and he said, oh, can you um, either you know, find a home for it or sell it for me? And I got it home and I didn't have it home um, 10 minutes and I had to build it. So um, so I built this plane uh, as a kid and, um, okay, and it was an Aeroflight. And I got it going and um, I just yeah, absolutely flew the pants off that. And um, I think I ended up putting a 60 OS 61 four-stroke in it later on. Um, but... Um, yeah, flew it until then. I yeah ventured onto. I wanted something you know a bit better, something with a bit of roll, better roll rate. And um, yeah, I, I dabbled in a few things. I actually um, 
end up scratch building a uh, a pattern plane, um, a meter, a meter plane, and uh, with a 60 rear exhaust in it. And I copied that out of the planes out of Airborne. Um, what I wanted to do, I wanted to have a go at pattern, um, and I did. I had a, I competed in a couple of um, competitions that they held here at the VRF, so. Um, that was really good, and even though I only competed in it a couple of times, I did a lot of practicing. You know, I had me me um, uh, maneuvers there that I had to practice, and and it disciplined me to I believe that you know to, to fly straight and level. And whenever you go into a, and do a maneuver, you know you, you're trying to come out you know the way you went in at the same level you went in, and um, I think that was a real benefit to me to to um, have a go at the pattern. Definitely cleans up your flying, I think. Like- you know what I think one of the biggest things on that point is that going to the field and being really critical of how you're flying, that's what Patton and IMAC and, and even scale events is that you become hypercritical of how you entered that manoeuvre, how you exited that manoeuvre, where you position that manoeuvre in the sky. And that doing that alone, whether you're going to turn up to a competition or not, straight away it's going to make you a pilot that's in more control because now you're you've dialed in sort of the finesse of flying. And I always say that you can tell a good pilot from a bad pilot. And it's, it's, it's not how tricky the maneuver is that they're doing. It's how straight and level they can fly. You know, can they fly a circuit and maintain height? And you see these people that do it and you just go, they're a good pilot. You know, okay. They're not doing, you know, hovering the plane or doing crazy 3d or anything like that, but they are flying neat. And I think that, you know, a lot of people downplay that, but uh, that's what I think. Yeah. That's that's my my uh, thinking now is that you know a, a neat flyer is a good flyer. Yeah, and as an instructor, I've I've taught quite a few to fly because I'm actually a, an instructor, and I I actually use that um, discipline when I'm um, teaching someone a little bit. I probably do it and don't know that I'm doing it, but you know I, I like to see them, you know. Um, you know, uh, being able to, and that's one of the hardest things to do when you say to them, you know, I want you to fly from your left shoulder to your right shoulder or vice versa. I want you to do it straight and level and, you know, um, get on your landing approaches, do your proper landing approaches and, and stuff like that. And, yeah, it's it's interesting. It's um, they, they find it very hard. Like, it's pretty easy to sort of get going and buzz around and flip over and do this and do that. But um, I actually do it when, I, when I'm teaching a, a in, in, in my uh, way of thoughts, that if you if you teach it early, um, you know you can teach and discipline their flying a little bit. Well, I, th- I think that it, actually that's an interesting point, and I, and I agree with you. I think that when it can't, and I've been sort of critical of instructors and some of the processes that we have at flying clubs around training, because not all instructors are like you, Les. They just teach them the basics, but they're not critical of flying level and and landing approaches like you said it's mm. more trying to get them to a point where they can fly by themselves and um and i think some of the instructors don't have that level of knowledge or that level of expectation of their own flying or mm. put thought mm. into it as to you know what does what does a good pilot mean what you know, how do you define what is a good pilot and mm. yes. being able to fly straight and level fly a circuit nice and neatly and position the plane where you need to position the plane at any particular point in time, that to me is what a good pilot is. Um, yeah. And again, it's not totally. about doing an inverted an inverted circuit or anything. It's, you know, being able mm. to be confident on those sticks with purposeful movements where the plane is not deviating and you're flying, 
you know, behind the plane in the kind of way and trying to play catch up all the time. I think that's yeah. that's that's the the biggest thing um, that you know. I always say to instructors like you got to, you're trying to teach people how to fly properly and and I also tie this to safety that you know at fly clubs they talk about oh we need to be safer and then so I start thinking about well what does that mean what does safety mean well it means competent pilot that can make good decisions whether it be yes. the way their plane is built the way that they um they taxi their plane the way that they communicate on the fly on the flight line the way they fly the plane, of course, how they remove the plane from the the, the, the uh, flying field, even little things like you know, being spatially aware of other people that are flying and not to put your plane too close to the runway whilst you're waiting your turn and things like that. I think that that's these are lots of other things that add up to being safe, which has to yeah. often be taught because it, it doesn't come naturally to everybody or they're not aware um, of, yeah. of what needs to be done, and that's that's. I think we just we, we downplay it a bit too much that that the role of the instructor. Another thing too, when I'm um, testing someone for gold wings or or, um, or silver or, or bronze, I, I always say to them, it's not about the the manoeuvre. If you don't get that manoeuvre 100% right, or, or something goes wrong, and you and I, if I can see you correct that plane and point it in the right direction, that to me is more important than the manoeuvre itself. Because you're, you're proving that, that you've got the ability to be able to, to um, get that plane back back on online, um, you know, with, without panicking. So, to me, in, in, a, in a test like that, that, that's yeah, it's certainly not about the manoeuvre itself. Um, I mean, yeah, sure, we want them to do the manoeuvre, but um, if they get into trouble and, and you can see that they've got themselves out of it and, and recovered from it in a safe manner, that, that means a lot. Yeah, it's interesting how, from your own experience, you talk about flying. Um, pattern and dabbling in pattern that really helped you and yes. as I said earlier it's not necessarily for me I improved my flying by learning the iMac basic routine and flying it with every plane that I owned I didn't use my model as an excuse that mm. you know I had this underpowered um, stick a one meter wing span stick and my brother would come out flying with me and he'd laugh at me going oh Mr. iMac flying his one meter wingspan stick and I go you know what it's a bit underpowered, this plane, but it means that I have to manage manage the throttle effectively and the momentum of the plane to achieve the manoeuvre. So I'm actually learning a truckload from flying mm. this plane. And yes. I think it's, like I said earlier, that that I'm very critical of my own flying. Like if, if you watch me fly, sometimes you watch me shake my head and there's nobody around me. Mm. And what I'm doing mm. is shake my head at myself. Like you stuff that roll up. Like yeah. that second yeah. half of that roll was a mess, you know, yeah. go back and do it again. And yes. I, I, I always believe that when we've got that level of expectation and sometimes that level of expectation can be imparted by the instructor, you know, like, mm. like you're doing is you are actually setting someone up to be a good, competent, safe pilot. And that I think you know I commend you for that because uh, you know that's what we all want to see really, um, and and that starts at that training phase. Yeah, I don't definitely. That's where it's it's really got to start, I believe, from there because um, it, it just um, it runs on right down through you. You know, as you progress, it, it, it certainly uh, is going to help you. Yeah. Do you do you get a lot of satisfaction out of teaching people how to fly? I do actually. Um, I do, and I suppose from my own ex previous experience in having a few lessons, I've, I think I learnt from that too. And I, I try to be as calm as possible. Um, and yeah, it, it's. I, I mean, as an instructor, am I a good instructor? I don't know. <laughs> but I've, I've um, taught quite a few, and I've had um, 
as as you know, some people pick it up really quick. Um, some people, you know, it's some older guys that I've had, you know, um, they, they've taken a while, but um, mainly purely because they, they weren't out there as much as, you know, some of the younger guys too, you know. They're pretty keen in out there and um, getting into it. But, you yeah, know, I do I do definitely do get satisfaction from out of, because like, I've, I've forgotten how many I've taught to fly now, but uh, I'm definitely satisfied for sure. That's interesting. One of the things I've, I've become more aware of um, when I'm at the flying field is this concept of anxiety that a lot of people are quite anxious people, you know, and, you know, and they can't help it. They're just wired that way. And if someone is on a flight line and they're an anxious kind of person, it can lead them to make poor decisions. Like I'm not lined up to the runway. I'm off to one side, but um, I'm so anxious that I can't even think to correct and line up or do another circuit to line up better that they're not, they, they lose that concept of awareness and I've yeah. seen it. I've seen it at fun fly events, um, you know, where there's lots of planes in the air and there's noise around and that kind of thing, and they have the spotter sitting there coaching them to get on the ground. You know, yeah. oh, a bit to the left now, oh, a bit to the right now. It's adding to the anxiety, and they end up stalling it and plonking it in because they forgot about airspeed. They were just trying to line up the plane or whatever. And that what yes. what you said is just being calm is um, uh, is is a is a critical thing. Um, it was interesting. A friend of mine was flying his jet, and and he stalled it. it luckily, he had plenty of height, and he was really worked up. And uh, he corrected it, which was good. He did all the right things, so he did a good job. But he was really flustered, like you know, almost lost the model kind of thing. But he, he saved yeah. it. And I just yes. said calmly to him, "Just get back into a circuit, into a landing pattern, and just bring it in. Just calm down." If we were all yelling it and screaming around him, he would have fluffed the landing. And would have you know yeah. wrecked his jet, but to his credit, he brought it in safely and and you know managed to keep his wits about him. But um, yeah, I think that's another another tip for 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 instructors is to read the read your student to understand, you know, yeah, their decision making profile as I call it. That could not not only be a student, as you say, you can be in an event. You've got uh, your caller or spotter, whatever you want to call them. If they're they're calm and um, collective, and yeah, that they can um, certainly. Uh, Help, help in a big time, in a big way that uh, from to be able to, you know, gather their thoughts in, and and, uh, and I've, I've seen that you know numerous times too. So yeah. I, th- I find with a lot of models, um, if you make a mistake, you've generally got time to correct it. If you're flying yeah. a, a super quick plane or something like that, and you're flying or you're flying really low, um, then yeah, you've got a reduced time to respond. But you know, some of the planes that I fly, aerobatic planes and things like that, if you make a mistake. You could probably count to three or four before you need to do anything, and you still got plenty of time to to recover. Yeah. You know, like there's aerobatic planes that got a really broad flight envelope, so you can fly them really slow, you know, and uh, buy yourself some time. But um, yeah, I think keeping calm when you fly is, is probably probably yeah, yeah, it's easy, it's easier said than done for sure. Not oh, true. Yeah, you've got someone that's with you, and and you can yeah, you talk you through it. it um, yeah, so you can recompose and yeah, get your thoughts back into it. It, it, it definitely helps because yeah, we've, we've seen some yeah incidents where um, a flame's gone in where you know it's purely because they've just yeah flustered and um, lost their train of thought. Touch wood, I think I've got to a point in my flying where I'm finding that I'm staying relatively calm, even if you know there's a bit of a wind or something like that. When I when I maiden my jet, you know, there's it, a lot of pressure. 
to you know bring it home safely and that kind of thing. But I, I, I often say to myself, you know how to fly. It's it's mm. it's in your fingers. Yeah. They naturally yeah. know what to do. If there's you know if there's a problem with the aeroplane, your hands will know what to do instinctively because you know I've spent a lot of time on simulators and so many years of flying. So you know I'll, I'll have a quiet word to myself and put myself aside and go. Why are, you, why are you worried about this? It's just another aeroplane yeah. with wings and you, the aileron stick goes that way and whatever. And, you know, just remember that when you've been in the simulator, you've had everything crossed up and you haven't crashed it. You've been able to instinctively correct a plane in the spin and that kind of stuff. So, yeah, I, I have to give myself a bit of a pep talk now and again if I, if I, you know, I'm at a different field and flying a big plane and I don't know whether I'm going to be able to, you know, the runway's long enough or whatever. I go, oh, wait a second. It's plenty yeah. long. You know what am I talking about? Yeah. You know, it's at at Shepparton. Uh, you know, and we'll get into the event a bit. But the um, but you know, I've seen I've seen various different pl- people sort of make mistakes on the strip, and and uh, and it, it definitely just you know, like um, I've got this philosophy around um, landing that I like to land a plane before it reaches my feet. Like the plane must be on the deck before it reaches my feet. You know, and the reason being is that when it goes past me and it's sailing past. Now I feel the pressure that the end of the runway is coming up, you know? And, yeah. And I've seen that at Shepparton where people will land the plane long and then run into a barrier or something like that because they're so flustered that, oh, you know, it's like brain overload that, oh, the plane's got to come down. There's other people in the circuit. Someone's going to have to land. There's a barrier there, the end of the runway. And it all amounts to I've got a good chance of making a really poor decision right here and uh, yeah. some, something yeah. happens. But um. Yeah. Now, so uh, you, you got into the you got into the aerobatic thing for a while. Now, where do you did you find a category of model that you really enjoyed, or were you a bit of an all rounder? I'm very much an all rounder. I've had a go, at, and that's what I love about the, the hobby. Um, is I've had a go at everything from float flight to gliders. I may not have done it for a long period, like sort of the, the pattern flying. I, I flew on, on two occasions here. Um, I didn't pursue it, go out to other places to fly. Um, but no, I've, I've flown off water, I've flown off slope, I've flown gliders. Um, the air racing, we got into that big time. Uh, that was probably around the 2011 mark. I think we did that for probably around seven or eight years with the large scale air racing. Oh yeah, yeah, um, that's right. Two, two classes, the AT6 class, and um, I ran a, a Nemesis with a 35cc in it. So, um, and oh, we ran in the Red Bull class too there for a while. Uh, we did, we did pretty, did pretty well. But we, um, there was about three or four of us from from Shepparton that were doing it, and um, we we had an absolute ball. We were basically competing against one another. Um, we didn't care about beating anyone else with as long as we bet our mate, you know, sort of thing. So we, we did that for a fair while, and that was that was really good fun. And, and yeah, we did pretty well out of that. So, um, but yeah, as far as um, uh, yeah, I, I've had a go at a lot because that's what I say. It's it's fascinating to have a go at uh, the, the whole lot of it. You know, like flying off water. You know, that fascinates me. I love that. Beautiful. That brings me to talk about some of the models that you've got because. I've seen a photo of you with a big. Uh, it's a beaver, isn't it? Yep, one hundred and fourteen inch um, beaver with a three cylinder Sado. That that, that that is a mm-hmm. proper float plane. That is mm-hmm. that's a beautiful. Well, what kit is that? It's actually a VQ. Um, oh, is it? I, yeah, I, I, I actually I built. Yeah, I, 
I had a um, an Icon West um, 95 inch to have one Beaver, which I built from a kit, and I must say it's the worst kit that I've ever um, ever built. It was just really basic in the instructions. Um, it was very heavy, so I, I, I took a lot of the weight out of it as I was building it. Um, but yeah, I flew that first, and you know I was covered in solar text and painted it and cleared it and done all that and um, I knocked it around a little bit there one day. Something, something went wrong. We don't know what went wrong, and it sort of dipped a wing into the water. And anyway, it wasn't too bad. And then um, this, I was in the local hobby shop here, and this guy had this. Uh, Scott had this uh, beaver there, and he said, "Oh look, I'll, I'll sell it at a reduced price." You know, it was on display. And I, thought, I looked at it. And I thought, mm. by the time I finished repairing the other one and buy the paint, and what have you, I might as well just buy this and put me radio on that. So. I went from the 95 um, icon, which I built as a kit, to uh, to the ARF, but I still yeah, look back and think oh, I should have uh, repaired the, the icon West one. But no, it, 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 yeah, it flew very well. It was right. Actually, it's interesting because I was curious. I flew it on wheels first, and uh, it was it was good. It flew flew nice and, and uh, plenty of power. But once I put the floats on, it um, yeah, it, it pulls it up. So. But it flew, I believe it flew very scale. So it got off the water nice and, you know, it's just come in nice. And, uh, but, yeah, that was it. Uh, and, um, yeah, obviously we missed out the last few years. We've missed out because of water. And uh, the water was low up there, so they've had to cancel where that. Where do you fly? Lake. Like, we've, uh, where are you doing uh, the flight flying? Up at Albury. Um, the, um, the Hume. Twin City. Yeah. Twin City, was it? Yeah, at the Hume there. Yeah, so... Um, it's a great little little spot, um, but yeah, unfortunately we missed out there a couple of years because the water was that far down that we couldn't uh, couldn't reach the water without you know standing knee deep in mud. So yeah, yeah. Um, they, they cancelled a couple, but yeah, look, we I've probably attended three or four of those um, with different models. I had a, um, a an interesting aircraft that was um, it's a great planes um, Sea Wind, yeah, and a pond on top, and yeah, I like that. Um, I quieted it off a mate of mine, and um, anyway, it had a 92 uh, OS four-stroke in it. And anyway, I took it to the float fly, and, and, and a few of them said, oh, you're not going to try and fly that, are you? I went, oh, well, yeah. <laughs> and, uh, you know, they were saying, no, no, take it home and hang it up. Like, you know, you know, we've seen bad experiences with these planes. So anyway, th- they were right. I, I, I sort of uh, it had a ba- very bad behaviour as you were taxing it, you know, try to take it off it. Kept walking around and it had dipped wing left to right. It was very, very unstable. So the next year I went back, I actually bought a three axis gyro. Uh, it was called a novice man. And I put that, I thought, I'll, I'll just try this. And I put it in there. And then uh, I went back the next year. And anyway, I went to taxi off and started to do the same thing. But I, was, I had a thought. I thought, well, hang on. If I've got a gyro, what am I doing with my fingers? So what I actually did the next time I, t- I went to take it off, I'd let go of the sticks and just punch the throttle. And the gyro did all the work. And um, then when I was up to speed, I just pulled back elevator and I was airborne. So I actually got the fly. That, that was that was good because, you know, a lot of people said that, you know, I don't, they don't fly. Oh, like, actually, they do. They fly rig with it, getting them off the water. So that was an achievement. So I flew that a couple of years yeah, up there. So, But, no, really, and look, top guys up there. So a really good weekend. So I thoroughly enjoy those weekends up there yeah. on the water. Do you think um, float flying is addictive? Yes, it can. It can be, I reckon. Um, it's a little bit, I suppose, oh, we, we're lucky enough we've got a bit of a, a 
backwater here that we can go to. It's, it's probably three quarters of an hour drive. But we were we were packing up and going over there. Going early morning was the best time, but because um, you're a bit limited, you know, with the with the wind. So um, yeah, and we were doing it, and we would again three or four of us, and we'd go over and have a laugh and fly around, and, uh, enjoy one another's company. So, but no, it is addictive, and um, like I say, I've always got something here on floats. So yeah, yeah. What what other planes is currently got in the hangar? Oh, where do you want me to start? Oh, mate, you've got one of those hangers that's never-ending. <laughs> Unfortunately, yeah, I'd, I'd nearly give um, Mark Sills a run, actually. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, look, I've got a 88-inch Yak. Uh, it's an ER um, model. It's a, actually, I don't think there was too many of them around. With a 55DL in it, a DLE in it, I probably don't fly that enough, but I've just got that going again, and... Um, Actually, I took it out a couple of weeks ago, and I was actually quite nervous um, flying it. And once I flew it, I thought, oh, look, <laughs> there was nothing to worry about. This thing's just like, a, well, I reckon flies better than a Trident. But, um, yeah, thoroughly enjoy flying that. Um, I've got, what have I got? Oh, well, I've got my me, me Nemethus racer, which it's parked up. This is not much racing done at the moment. Um, I've got, oh, my daily flyer, I've just bought a... Um, it's a model tech, an ARF, um, Dragon Lady, which is oh, um, yeah. they fly really well. about a 25-year-old kit. I bought, actually bought it at the moment. There was a guy there selling all the kits, and, and I looked at it, and I just, it brought back memories, you know, uh, from 20-odd years ago, and I thought, yep, I'll, I'll buy that. And, they're, uh, they're nice models, and, though. They look good, I reckon. Yeah, that, and they just, they're, they're yeah, good all-rounder. So I just, that's that's me throwing the back of the ute thing when I'm going out and, um that's that's just a bit of a hack, but yeah, no, I've got uh, what have I got? I've got the Falcon One Twenty jet. That I've um, well, I've had it probably two years. I've only flown it a couple of times. Um, I've got that. I'm enjoying that at the moment. That's uh, that's pretty awesome. Uh, we're a bit limited to fly here in the summer because obviously the the grass around the the, the field and that. So we, um, you know, out of courtesy, we don't. Don't fly our jets in the summer, sort of thing. There, so I, it's, it's funny. There's more and more clubs doing that, and and I don't, I don't necessarily have a great issue with that. But that's just personal. You know, my my, you know, it, it varies depending on on the nature of your fields. But uh, I, I find that I, I've got this funny thing. It's almost like I've got a plane for every season. That, mm-hmm. Like for example, it's like it's freezing cold. You know, it's probably cold that way you are at the moment, Les. But as I see here, it's, it's freezing. Yes. And the last thing I would want to do in, in the middle of winter is go and fly a glider, even though people mm-hmm. say it's a good challenge to go and do it. But to me, it's got to be in summer. Go and fly a glider. Don't go and fly a stinking hot turbine in the middle of summer. Go and wait till you know a nice autumn day. Uh, even winter um, into spring, but that that peak hot time, just park the turbine and go and fly a glider or something else if you really yeah. want to. You know, because like there's so much fuel that we like when you think about how much fuel. And I didn't realize, I, I didn't appreciate it until I had to put fuel into my jet, and I was sitting yeah. there, and five minutes later, the electric pump still going, pumping fuel in where it was just it was my normal, you know, thirty cc gas that would have been done in about thirty seconds. Yeah, uh, it took it took a while. I'm thinking, gee, you know, if this goes in, there's a lot of fuel. Yeah, mm, yeah two and a, I think mine holds about two and a quarter or two and a half liters. So yeah, yeah. And, uh, it sips it up pretty quick. So 
Yeah, so now I've got a, a Giles, I've seen Pro Giles 202 with a 160 FX in it. That I've had that for a long, long time. That's that's one of the best flying airplanes I've had. I reckon that's almost close to a patent ship the way that thing performs. Yeah, they've got that shape, haven't they? Yeah, that's a real long tail moment, and, and you know it, it's absolutely gorgeous. I, I, I love it, but it's sort of retired at the moment. I've got a um, VQ uh, Invader um, twin that. Um, I set up to take to um, Twins and More. Oh, I was going to say that you've got a – I was going to say, as soon as you said you got a Twins, I go, no, he's going to the Twins and More event. And uh, yeah. and I'm thinking, you've got a plane for every event, haven't you? Yeah, yeah. I actually had a, um, a plane that, that it was a uh, low-wing – I'm trying to think of the name again um, – it was a. I bought it from Tate's in Geelong, and they. Um, oh gee, I can't think. Anyway, it's a little low, low wing thing. Look, looked like a Gemini Aeroflot. Anyway, when I went to Twins and More, I actually grafted two twenty fives on the on, on each wing, so oh, I actually no. made a try. <laughs> yeah, <did> <laughs> I had a, I had a uh, yeah three three twenty fives and. and um, it actually flew very well. Well, actually, believe it or not, I started off with, with the twin and I just took the motor out of the middle and, and blanked it off. And I went into the field to fly it and I was testing it. And anyway, I had an engine out that, that rolled and I, I had a little, little uh, uh, well, I knocked it around on the nose a little bit. Anyway, instead of repairing the nose, I thought, oh, I'll just back and bang another one. Because <laughs> I still had a field tank there from originally when it was a single engine. So, and I've actually, it, I used to, I've taken that twins I don't know how many times, but um, it absolutely flew like it like it was on rails, and uh, yeah, that, that was good fun. So yeah, I'll tell you what, um, you're, you're a tinkerer, aren't you? you know, yeah, I love to tinker. Yeah, yeah, yeah I, I think it, it's a common thread, but some of us like to tinker more than others. Like I don't think I get to that level. I just don't have the patience for it, but uh, yeah, obviously yeah. you do. do. Do you like building? Um, I do. Yeah, um, probably it's changed a little bit. I think. It, as, as we know with the, with everybody really I suppose um, time poor yeah um, like I own my own business now and I I'm work on my own and uh, yeah I, I, I sort of um, find it very hard to come home and, and do it now like I, I need to sort of have a weekend like last weekend <laughs> uh, last lockdown weekend, weekend. absolutely great for me because I lit the fire in the shed and I'm put, just putting together a um, hangar nine PA eighteen um, super cup. Oh yeah, and, um, yeah. What size um, is that one? Is that the the twenty cc? No, thirty cc. Okay, yeah, 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 the yellow in, one. No, no, blue. Um, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. I know. Blue, I, know. Yeah, I think they're hundred. Actually, yeah, I think they're hundred five inch or something. Yeah, you can take them on. You can join the the Piper Cup um, Brigade. Yeah, look and look. We have got a cub. I've got a quarter scale zip cub there that. Um, my daughter won it in the club raffle back in about 1994, I believe. Yeah. Anyway, I didn't buy. I don't normally don't buy tickets in our raffle. So anyway, my kids wanted one each, and so we, we bought them a ticket. Anyway, you wouldn't believe it. Her name was drawn out, and um, it, it was a um, a local member that built, and he was actually a painter by trade. So the actual paint job was just yeah, really really good. But quarter uh, scales he from a kid, he built it. And it was put up, well, I think, yeah, put up for, for a raffle. So my daughter won it. So it, very interesting. So we'd go out the field and, um, you know, she'd come out and she'd taxi it around and, I'd, and it had an ASP 108, I think, in it. 
and she taxied around on the ground and um, you know I'd put it up and give her a fly and that was all great. And the knobbly wore off about six months later and she said, oh, Dad, I want, I want to buy a stereo for my room. I said, oh, yeah. okay, I'll do your deal. <laughs> <laughs> You're not, you're not, uh, not doesn't look like you're going to be flying that cub. So we did a deal. I bought her, it cost me about $900. Huh? But anyway, that's another story. So, and then I put a, um, a 130 Sato twin in it, which I acquired off a guy that could never get it to run properly. Um, so I put that in there and um, got it running right. So it's, I've had that for look, well, do the mass <laughs> about 1995 or six, so that still flies today. But I don't fly it often. But um, I, don't, I love the cub on a on a still day um, to go out, you know, and just yeah, just shoot some touch and goes, and uh, it's nothing like a for that. I know you know people say a cub, but um, I've also got one that's in. Uh, I've got a third scale also USA cub that's. Um, I hope to um, get nice. going. 12 months, yeah, with a, uh, a DLE 60 twin in it. So it's a clip wing version. So I'm looking forward to get it, getting that going. But um, and that's sort of where I'm heading at the moment within the scale. So I'd like to, you know, get, um, get, uh, have a go at the, not so much for the competitive side of it, side of it but just, um, yeah, to join the Vic Scale Association and uh, where the boys up here on the, on the well, it wasn't the Queen's birthday weekend, it was two weekends after. Because of, yeah. But um, we had him there, and that, and you know, I, I kicked myself that I didn't go out and, uh, and fly in it. So, um, but yeah, no, it's uh, it's it's uh, it's very very interesting. Yeah, no, I, I, I had a break there for a while. I, I went, um, I've had a couple of goes at the speedway. So in two thousand, it's always the cars that pull people away from the. Whole, we're, we're stupid, we, and it's always men. We men are stupid, you know. <laughs> we'll all go away and dabble in something to do with cars. I've done it myself, but uh, what's what yeah. category were you racing in Speedway? Um, well, in about two thousand and two thousand, oh, ninety nine to two thousand and two, I raced another called a GP Midget, which had a GSX eleven hundred R mounted oh, in the back motorbike of it. engine, um, motorbike engine um, on methanol, uh, flat slide smooth boards, and and uh, I, I sort of built, I could put the car as a basket case and build it up. Um, I did that for yeah, and prior to that, I was was the president of the club, so I actually gave the presidency away because yeah, at the time I was you know this car was sort of taking over my my time and my, my interest, and um, I did that for two or three years. We we went on on that too, and then um, I had another go in '99 to oh no sorry from about 2007 to 10, I raced a compact speed car so. That was the same thing, but different. The engine was in the front, had a ZX10 Kawasaki um, with Hillborn injection on methanol. So, okay, yeah. um, 180 horsepower sitting up the front. Yeah, so that, that was, so I, I sort of, yeah, had a, and look, me, my models are always there, and uh, it's interesting uh, how addictive the, the, the hobby is because, um, it, it, you know, while I was doing other things, I, I still, yeah, I still had an interest in my. In my modeling, yeah. actually, I ha I went through a car racing phase, and uh, my modeling started again from the car racing phase because I turned up to do my um my 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 racing license test basically, and yeah. one of the other guys who was in the same category as me, um, we got talking and whatever, and and we've become good mates since then. This is way back in two thousand and ten, I was I think end of two thousand and ten, yeah. I think. Anyway, he um. 
we got to talking and we're talking about different things and he and he was telling me how he's into model airplanes and um his name is Paul Marlin and he's a, I'm going to have him on the podcast one day but he's a, he was a really good pattern pilot um you know he hadn't competed for for many years but he's a kind of pattern pilot that could turn up today and uh you know at least put, get on the podium without minimal practice he's he's you know a real expert at it anyway and he he put the plan to the seat in my mind about um flying model airplanes so I always thought you know I always knew that I'd fly model airplanes because I was interested when I was younger and I always had this this, this interest in it but I always kept on sort of putting it off thinking ah oh, a retirement hobby kind of thing but after talking to him and stuff like that I really got this bug and the next minute I went and bought a trainer plane and off we go and um and I raced for a little while after that and I think oh, I can't remember when I sold my car 2015 or something and I sold the car and and just went full ball with the model flying but um let's just put it down to our midlife crisis and we've come back to our yeah yeah. Yep, that's it. <laughs> Except I'm into motorbikes now, and they've got me pretty bad. Even though, yeah, the physio I'll keeps I'll on telling me that uh, physio says I shouldn't uh, should watch out when I ride my motorbike because he's sick of rubbing my shoulder from the dislocation. <laughs> but uh, you know, there's still got that bug. Now let, let's talk a bit about the, the the Valley Radio Flyers Club that hosts the Shepherd and Mammoth event. Uh, so you've been a member there for a long time, and I, I didn't know you'd been the president before. But you came yeah. you came back. To, to be president, what, about three or four years ago, was it now? That's correct. Yeah, about three years ago. Yep. Yep. And um, came back. I had a, had, a little, had a little rest for a while. We, we, I probably wasn't there for two or three. Well, no, it was two years. Yeah. So, yeah, came back um, with a few of the, few of the others. And, um, yeah, I've become president. And, uh, yeah. Well, you don't, need to, you don't need to comment, but I know that um, you and the other guys that joined you on the committee really um, – Let's put it, how can I put it nicely, fixed up the club uh, back to its former glory. I think you guys did a, a good effort. There was a sort of a, a, anybody in the scene in Victoria sort of knew that there was a bit of a slump out at the field around the Mammoth event for a couple yeah. of years. And, uh, but um, you've well and truly resurrected it back to its uh, its former glory. So it's, um, so I think everyone's appreciate you being back. Yeah, the club's in a very good place at the moment. And, um, you know, it's all positive. Um, you know, we've got a, a, a no crap policy. We don't tolerate any any crap at all. Um, we're there to fly and have fun and enjoy one another's company, and that's what's been happening for the last couple of years. Yeah, so it's it's been really good. I've never heard of anybody saying that they did not enjoy going to the Shepherd and Club, whether it be at the Mammoth event or just for you know. I know that the Scar guys love getting up there and. Um, and every time I see photos on Facebook of them, I think, oh, because it's such a nice field. Now, how, how big yeah. is the space you got to fly with there? There's actually 74 acres. Um, yeah, as we up the end there, we fly probably, you know, well, there's probably 25 to 30 acres that we're, we're, we're flying over with, you know, above the and that. So, um, but yeah, it's, it's 74 acres. And um, yeah, it's come a long way over the time, and considering that it was just a, just a little garden shed there. And, um, you know, we're, we're, we're a, um, it's come a long way, I suppose, considering um, the amount of members we have. We, we don't have a lot of members. I think, you know, the best we've had is probably 44 in the heydays. You know, it's always hovered around the 34 to 36. So, you know, do your maths on that. There's not a lot of money each year for, you know. So our, our members, you know, um, has been... Uh, the money that's come out of the mammoth has, has been put back in, and and, and, the, and it's growing. The field's just growing and growing. You know, we've got the, you know the new. Well, I want to say new. <laughs> it's not no more. But um, yeah, the canteen, um, 
you know, uh, and, and we're progressing to to add to it all the time. We're looking at pitch shoulders at the moment, and you know, which is a bit sad because um, you know, if we haven't last year, if we um, haven't had COVID, we probably would have had them for this year. So we want to, you know, run a full pitch shelter um, in front of the canteen. So that's next on the agenda. Yeah. So you know, it, it's been on the improve all the time. You know, it's it's um, it's been uh, it's it's you know, all you know the strips have been um, moved out you know to comply with um, our safety rules. Um, you can fly jets often. We do. Um, you can fly nearly anything off it you like. So yeah, it's pretty. It's what do you reckon the length of the runway is? About one hundred thirty meters plus, or I think it's uh, one forty. I think um, someone asked me the other day, and I've got to be honest with you. I well, so, both, yeah. well, you've got basically two strips, and they're both plenty long. Yeah. Like, I've never... Yeah, the east-west one is a little shorter um, but than, than the, the north-south one. But, yeah, no, there's plenty of room there. Yeah, so, plenty of width as well yeah. on the runways. Yeah. Not that narrow. Yeah. Um, what I love, if, if anybody's been on the Flat Out RC Instagram page, you'll see plenty of photos uh, from the Shepherd and Mammoth event, and you can tell the Shepherd and photos because if you see the canola fields in bloom, yeah. it is an amazing yeah. sight. It's just, it's when you're there and the canola's up and the yellow flowers are everywhere, it's just a, a, a beautiful place to fly. This now, for anybody that, that's been to, to the field, they probably know what I'm talking about, but there's a power line that runs across the field on one side of the strip. How far away is that power line? Because I swear it's probably further away than anybody thinks, but it looks closer than what it is. It's like a um, line that goes across. Yeah, look, it's probably be from the fence line out. It's well, yeah. As the, if you if you're looking, uh, if you go in line with the actual strip, it's probably um, it'd have to be probably three hundred meters, I suppose. That's um, yeah, it's um. I've never measured it to be honest with you, but um, look, we haven't had. Well, actually, I've seen a glider get land, land on it and got stuck for a, a small period of time and then just fell off. So it's been a long time since I've seen anyone, but we have had someone in the last 18 months um, found it. Yeah. It's a bit, you know, I think it's what it is. It's one of those things that, as I said, it probably looks closer to the field than what it is. And it's just, it's just a single power line just running across the paddock in a you know farm kind of environment. But it's like... Um, you know, I mentioned it because I know that people said, oh, stick clear of the power line. I'm like, yeah, but it's miles away. Why are you flying that far out kind of thing? Um, and and your fence line too doesn't, I think from memory, doesn't butt right up against the strip. So you've got no. plenty of space to come in and, you know, a nice big long runway on that approach too. Yeah, the only way you'll you'll um, get anywhere near it is if you're doing a, a real long, low you know, approach and, yeah, there's, there's maybe a chance you're getting it, but... Um, yeah, look, it's one of those things, you know, we haven't had anyone touch it for yeah, a long time, but yeah, just recently we have, but, um, which ended in tears. <laughs> uh, yeah, I think it's interesting that um, what people forget, especially with country clubs like yours and, and, and a club that owns the field and, and, you know, just because you own the field doesn't mean there's, exp you know, you've got less, fewer expenses, you've probably got more expenses than the average average club and the investment in maintenance that you need to make, you know, whether it be fencing or, or, you know, just the grounds and that kind of thing that such events like the mammoth event means a lot to the club, because as you said, your stream of revenue, you know, is from a small pie and, yes. 
you know, like not like some of the sort of more suburban clubs that you can have, you know, a hundred members paying, you know, exorbitant fees kind of thing. But um, you know, that it does mean a lot and that and like you said, it's not as if you're profiteering from it. Well, you are, you're making a profit so that you can pay for facilities that keeps on improving. And um and we see that with clubs, you know, that it takes time sometimes to develop these clubs because of the the low sources of revenue. But um I think though with that mammoth event, like I, I love the event and I loved it before I even turned up. I've only been to two of them. But because I yes. remember reading about it in Airborne magazine in the eighties and just seeing the models and thinking, Oh, wouldn't that be a great thing to participate in? Look at those models, look how great they are. I've got to get there. And even before I got back into modeling, I'd be like, Oh, September, isn't that mammoth event on? I should really head up yeah. there and have a look, kind of thing. Um Tell me about that history of that Shepherd and Mammoth flying. I believe it started in around about the 1980s to 1981, I believe was the first Mammoth, which was out at River Road, which is the old flying field, which is closer into town than um, wasn't that far out of town, actually, the River Road. Um, so they moved to um, Karamanis in 1990 to the new field. So um, Ian Watts was probably the instigator of the mammoth flying. He's, he is uh, a gentleman that moved up from Melbourne. He was a builder by trade. He come up here and he had a lot of friends in Melbourne. You know, your Tony Barnums and you know, and Leo O'Reilly and your Jeff Tucks and yeah, you know, um, all those sort of guys that were, were avid modelers. So what he's done is he's created this event, and they've all come to it. And these guys, you know. They, they built, they scratch built their models, and uh, it's something that built up. You know, I believe they started off with you know 20, uh, 25, 30, and then it's just built up, it built up, and built up. So the move to Caramonas was uh, was a good thing. I, they actually had a split with club over it because half of them um, didn't want it to happen. Um, whereas we're still there, and they're not. <laughs> the field doesn't exist, but. Um, yeah, it, it uh, it's one of them things. It, it look, you know, in the probably the yeah around the two thousand mark um, would have been we could have had anything up to one hundred and seventy planes to one hundred to thirty, one hundred forty pilots, um, which was a mammoth task to run. It really was. It lived up to its name, the mammoth scale flying because. Um, you know, a thirty on um, thirty-six meg. You know, it was just an absolute nightmare. Oh yeah, I didn't think about. I didn't think about that. If you have that many pilots running thirty-six meg, any guy that I mean, I've I've done the pound over the weekend, and you've had to have two or three of us in there. I'm telling you, at the end of the weekend, you were mentally strained. It was probably one of the hardest jobs to get your head around because. You're you're in control of um, like there was seven blokes on one frequency at one stage, and they all want to fly. So, um, you know, the guys that, that picked a, uh, a frequency that was way off, you know, they were great. They could fly all day, you know. But the guys that you know that, that clash frequencies, it was an absolute nightmare. And and we we we, we pride ourselves on safety and. and it was a very, very hard task, and it's a credit to those guys that did that pound over those years because 
Um, it was a logistical nightmare. It really was. And the best thing that ever, ever happened was 2.4, I can tell you. Um, yeah, I can imagine. It, 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 but, you know, like um, we, yeah, like I say, 170 planes, I think, was our best. Um, you know, I think it was 130, 140 pilots back in its, in, in its you know, when it was really going. Um, so, you know, and, and it's attracted the blokes built, you know, they spent two to three years building planes to bring to that. So I suppose it's where it's a little prestigious, I suppose, in, in the way that, um, you know, uh, people built planes for it and they really wanted to come there and, and, and show their wares. And, and look, in days there was no internet and, you know, you know all, all, the, all of today's technology. So a lot of these guys caught up with one another out now meeting. Um, it was sort of central. Um, you know, you get a lot of guys from New South Wales and, you know, Victoria, they'd all meet up and, look, you know, they'd have their chairs out there and they'd be sitting around talking to them. Well, I really think that it's 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 built up to be the premier scale model event in the country. That we do see some some events pop up, these um, one off big events that are that, that they do an excellent job. But that that annual event that you can ask any scale modeler and they know the event. It's the Shepherd and Mammoth scale flying. It's 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 just that signature event. And you know, I'm talking about it with all my friends already and you know i've got my fingers and toes crossed that it happens because you know we're in the middle of a lockdown now and we don't know what's going to happen you know by mid-september but the enthusiasm to participate in that event is 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 just crazy like i know that this year's event the the imac nationals clashes with the event now i've spoken yeah. to a few people on the committee for imac you know the friends of mine or whatever and said you got to change the date because even some of the guys in the IMAC community are going, man, it's on the, it's on when Shepparton's on. We want to go to Shepparton, you know, to the to the mammoth flying. And I think that, uh, you know, as I said earlier, that it's sort of there was a peak, then there was a little trough, and now the peak is rising again. That we're going to get yeah. to a point where there's going to be that many pilots. But, um, you know, for for people that are, for pop for participants that are thinking about turning up to this year's event. What what can they expect? Um, look, obviously we try and um, in, improve it here. Um, we sort of been doing it for a while, and uh, you know, I, I suppose what they can expect is well, I, I hope clear skies, uh, a nice green um, short runway, um, a friendly reception. Um, that you know and. And I suppose the way it's always been, you know, for them to, um, you know, get together and catch up and um, and, and have a fly and enjoy themselves. Well, I think that's the important part that it's, like I always say, if you want to have a great day's flying, don't go to a flying event because you'll spend a lot of time talking to people and plus you've got to share the sky with a lot of other people. But to me, what I, I would add to your comments about what to expect is, if you want to see the best giant scale planes that are going around, if you want to speak to those pilots, catch up with people that you only might see once a year because you've seen Mammoth event or at other other events, then this is the event that you need to go to. Even as a spectator, when you turn up, you'll be seeing the best of the best. And I, I think what I always say to people that have got good models is I tell them, you need to bring this to, to Shepparton. And some people think, oh, but I'm showing off if I do that. And I'm like, no, it's not about showing off. Is 
it is an event where you bring your best model to share it so that other people can see it and appreciate it and get enjoyment. Like, a, you know, we go to art galleries to see the artwork. Well, going to this event, the Mammoth event, it's a bit like that in that you're seeing the best of the best planes there and some of them won't even see the air. A lot of them will just be sitting there for people to, to view. And but, Andrew, they've, they've probably flown Thursday and Friday and they've, 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 they've worn in. That's, that's exactly what's happening at the moment. They, they're coming up. Some of them are staying there for four or five days. And they're just flying Thursday, Friday. And um, when it comes to, yeah, they, they sit around and act with the young. You know, a lot of them say, oh, can you, you know, say, oh, you're not today. Oh, you're not, you know, I've burnt five litres or whatever. I'm um, happy to just to, yeah, to catch up with people. So It's true. Yeah. And I, like, that's what, that's what it's become now. It's not just, you know, it's a two-day event, 18th and 19th September, everybody, this year. Um, it's the 39th Mammoth Scale Flying event. I've got the flyer in front of me, which, by the way, you've got to remind me, I've got to get this up on your website, this, uh, this new flyer. But um, that... Yeah, it's on the Saturday and Sunday, the 18th and 19th of September. But a lot of people are turning up on the Wednesday prior and camping yeah. out at the field. Now, for anybody that's thinking about staying at the field, give us a bit of the rules and regs and, and you know what, what you can and can't do there. Um, with the camping side of it, we, we've just brought in a, um, a, a $20 fee uh, for, for as long as you... I mean, if you turn up Wednesday and go home um, Monday, well, it's, it's $20. So... Um, it, it's just a flat rate for the weekend for campus. Um, we supply a, a shower. Um, we were actually kind of planning on getting another one, but um, look, at, at this stage, we, we're, we're really unsure. We meant to have an AGM last Sunday to discuss the, the mammoths for this year. We really want it to happen. But unfortunately, if um, we've just got things stacked against us, as, as you can understand, it's a, you know, it takes a fair bit to organise and, um, you know, we don't want it to, um, you know, get to the last minute and, uh, and get burnt. So we've really got a big decision to make. But, yeah, with the camping side of it, we, um, you know, it, it's uh, fight for your own spot, basically, down, down the back. Uh, we are trying to open up some more area for, because believe it or not, we're running out of room for camp. Oh, yeah, everybody. Because I think it's, it's, that's that social side of the event. That's why I think people enjoy camping there is that it's you just spend you know all day and all night and sit around a fire or you know have a few drinks and have a chit chat kind of thing and uh enjoy each other's company which is you know so it's not just about the flying really you know as i said yeah earlier, if you want to go and have a great day's flying just go to your local club and slap out flights but if if you want to catch up with people see some really good models then uh this is the event to come to now the um I'll just go through some of the things uh, that uh, was on the fly here. They'll be flying from 10 a.m. to 4 p.m. So normally people are up pretty early getting their planes ready and all that kind of thing. Um, the Now, there's a requirement for models, uh, a, a, a size. Now, we're looking because we don't want little small planes turning up to the Mammoth event. It's the, They have to be a scale plane, so don't bring your sport jets and your um, sporty kind of planes. It has to be a scale plane. If it's not a scale plane, you're going to get a tap on the shoulder and yes. say, look, please, it's a scale event. We're trying to protect it. And, and uh, Les and the team are not trying to be rude. They're just trying to make sure that it doesn't become a general fun fly. So we keep it special. So I'm all for that. Your monoplane has to be a minimum of 80-inch 
which is relatively generous. You can you could you know find many planes, sixty cc and up that will uh, meet that criteria. Biplanes um, or even thirty cc, some of them get close to that. You know, Cubs and my three uh, D hobby shop Bigfoot meets the criteria. Um, biplanes yep. have to be sixty six inch, so you get a little bit smaller wingspan. But as we know, biplane wingspans are generally a bit smaller. So as long as you meet that the criteria, it's a scale plane only. And look, you know yes. what? I'm going to say this, Les. If you turn up with your scale foamy, don't, don't take your scale <laughs> foamy. Right? Not, nobody's there yeah. to see a scale yeah. foamy fly. Right? If you want to have a bit of a fly as the sun's coming down when all the spectators have gone away and whatever, and you want to go and punt around with your profile yeah. aerobatic foamy, knock yourself out. Not but the event is for good planes, balsa, composite, scale, large scale models. That's what we want to see. If you bring something else, you're going to look like a wally today. Well, there's been, um, you know, discussions over the last few years um, about, you know, reducing the size and, you know, I've got one that's, you know, two inches of this and this and this. Um, it, it's one of the things we've sort of stood by it because it, it's, it's a, um, look, it's worked for this long. <laughs> well, actually, it should have been our 40th year. Uh, we should have been celebrating our 40th. Um, but unfortunately, we know that that's not going to happen. So we're back to 39. So, um, yeah, we've we've maintained that, that status on that. Um, we've probably been a little bit lenient with it in, in some places, but last year we sort of started to yeah uh, come down on a little bit more. Uh, yeah, you have to though, Les, because it's not the mammoth scale flying. You've got to protect the essence of what it is. Otherwise, it's just another fun fly event. And I think that some people just sort of cave in to, to thinking that, oh, well, let's just make it broader. You actually don't. Like you said, you, you can't. You don't want two hundred pilots there because it'd be mayhem. Like even with yeah. two point four gig, it's just you'd be managing a lot of people and that kind of thing. But um, on the flight line, um, but you want to protect it for what it is, which is a, a giant scale flying event where the best of the best models in Australia strive to come. And like um, the last event in two thousand nineteen, Tim DeHaan won the Pilots' Choice Award for his Urcoop. And, yes. uh, and Tim, he's a lovely guy and I've had him on the podcast before and he doesn't really rate himself as a builder. You know, he still thinks he's pretty new and not as experienced others. But I was so chuffed that he got given that award. Uh, it, look, well deserved. It, it was an amazing model, amazing model. And to me, to take a model to that event and be recognised as the, the plane of the event, that is that is like one of the biggest accolades you could get in model flying in the Australian scene. If you can turn up to the Shepherd and Mammoth scale flying and win, and win the things. So I've got this, every time I do the flyer for you, Les, I've got yeah. this idea now that the, the winner of the pilot's choice awards plane will grace that flyer for yeah. the next year yeah. as, as another yeah. award saying, here it is. This was the thing. So, uh, uh, touch wood that this the event goes on this year, so we can uh, share that flyer around and look at that beautiful aircoop. But if not, it'll be on next 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 year's flyer. Yeah. But um, yeah, it, it's it's it, you've got to protect the prestige of the event. You know, you, you, imagine if the Formula One grid said, "Oh, look, how about we open it up to V eight supercars as well?" Because we'll get more cars on the grid and they'll be better for us. Be like, "Well, wait a second, it's not Formula One anymore." You know, so it's the same. Like, I urge your committee, fellow committee members, if they're listening to me hold on to it and protect it for what it is because that's what we love about it. I don't want yeah, to go yeah, right. to a foamy fun fly at this mammoth scale event. It, it's interesting you say that because, you know, the formula that we've been using 
for a long, long time. You know, do you alter it? And you know, um, you can do this and you can do that. But uh, I know some people might think it's stale. But um, if you've got a system that works and and people are attending and people are enjoying their weekend there, why mess with it? You know, it's a bit like um. You know the, the the glider guys up to the glider guys go up to Gerildery and they have you know a few different events up there like you know a scale day and then a you know competition um, uh, event as well. That Gerildery is like a mecca to go flying. Like people love it and put it in their calendar as a special event. It's like you know if you're into motor racing, going to Bathurst. Like yeah, it's, that's right. I've raced at Bathurst. I always say to my kids, you know anybody who's raced at Bathurst? Yes, but but. When I went to Bathurst, it was like the Holy Grail. And when I hit the track, I, it took me probably five laps of just, I was just saying to yeah. myself, I can't believe I'm driving around here. This is, oh, it's exactly like it was on television. Oh, I know this turn. I've seen it so many times. It was just, it was, I don't, and I had such a good time that I don't really need to go back to spoil it because it was the best weekend yeah. ever. And it's like going to the Mammoth event. It's like, I'm here at the Mammoth event. This is just like, there's a buzz in the air when you're at the Mammoth event that you don't get. And I'm not just saying because you're here, you know, and I've been to a couple, I've got videos. If you want to see the videos, go on the Flat Out RC YouTube channel and you'll see a couple of videos from the, the Mammoth thing. But it's, I can, it's a photographer's delight because I can sit there and take, I think at the, at the last couple of mammoths between the two events, I've taken over 2,000 photos. Mm, because mm. everywhere you look, there's something to take a photograph of. You know, there could be five planes in the air. Every single one is noteworthy for a photograph. It's just, and, that, and that's my biggest challenge is because I want to shoot a video, take photographs, and I want to fly at it as well. Yeah. And it's interesting, like, you know, you got the right weather and um, everything's uh, going good. There'll be six in the air all, all day. They'll just up, up, down, up, down, and um, yeah, to consistently see that many aircraft in the air is uh, it's pretty rewarding. But also, holding it in mid-September, like we've been fortunate for the past two events, we've had pretty good weather. Um, you know, totally flyable. You know, clear skies in a kind of way. You know, blue blue skies at least. Uh, but um, that mid-September time frame is it's if you if the weather hits, it's just beautiful. Like it's yeah, I call it jeans and t-shirt weather. And that's that's my preferred kind of weather down here, is where you can put the t-shirt on, and you're not over, you're not too hot, you're not too cold, you're just about right. Um, it's the perfect sort of outdoor gathering temperature. So fingers crossed, you know. What what happens if you know? Say, assume it's um, it's able to be held. Um, do you if it if it gets sort of the forecast is looking bad, would you postpone it for a week or? We we never. We never have. Um, we've been, I don't know whether, yeah, we've been uh, fairly lucky. Look, I, I remember um, getting up on uh, on a Saturday morning and, and driving out there at um, some odd godly hour and had the wipers on. I think, you know, we're gone, you know. And, you know, we've given it a couple of hours and it, it's come good and, you know, we've got away with it. We, we may have one day that, you know, it's either too windy or, you know, rainy. Um, but we seem to get away. We've been lucky enough to get a day in um, and, and people, you know, you know, you sort of feel apologetic to the pilots, and they're all going, "No, no, no, no. Enjoy, thoroughly enjoy it ourselves." You know, well, it's it's a, it's a gathering of just. I look forward to going and seeing people that I haven't seen for a year, or now a couple of years, because we haven't had the event. Just saying good day. Mm. That's the big thing. I, you know, just I know I keep on harping on it, but it's 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 that good an event. The also spectators are allowed, um, and we we get a lot of spectators coming up from Melbourne. You know, both enthusiasts and 
and and locals that are, you know want to day out you often see uh you know the families with the kids uh there as well and um just taking it all in and um so that's always good to see as well and and you've got a commentator that's um you know you do you do a good thing with the entry forms where you ask people to provide some information about their models so that we can give it to the uh to the uh mc who can sort of talk a bit about the planes which i think adds a lot of value to the spectators and and we learn a lot about different aircraft and um you know the models um which which it, which sort of rounds out that whole package the only thing that does look funny is the netball bibs that you know if you see photos of people at shepherd it looks like they've just come off the netball court uh it's interesting you say that because we were probably one of the first people to, to start doing that and uh, what's the I, idea I think behind that just being able to identify who's a pilot and who's not. Yeah, I believe it come from uh, some of the old school guys that had, that had been flying overseas, you know, um, in the states. Um, so come back. See, see, our our system like that, I think, was probably one of the well, like I say, uh, the guys have come back. You know, got these ideas from different places. So our, our uh, flight line control. Not that I've been to too many um, fly-ins like our event. I've been to plenty of planes. You know, here and there, but um, I, I suppose we were. Well, I'd like to think that we were we were very early in in being uh, running a, a flight line like it, like it is. Um, but the idea of the the the, the, the vessel that uh, well, we we have a a, a spotter's um, vest and we have the, the pilot's vest, so we can identify who's who. Um, we have a uh, in any people visiting the pits, which they, they buy a pass, uh, 50 cents or whatever it is, you know, to, to get a yellow bib and they can go in and uh, get a close-up of all the models. Uh, it's a dollar, sorry, not 50 cents. Um, so at all times we can see out there who's meant to be there and who's not. Um, so I suppose it's our way of identifying. We've got um, obviously numbers on, on, the, on, the, on the pilot and the, and the caller. And, um, so it's our way of being able to identify uh, yeah, and, and to, to keep an eye on it. Like if everybody's out there with nothing on, um, yeah, it's, it's you know, uh, whereas now if we see someone standing there without a bib and he's standing out in the middle of the flight line, you know, is he meant to be there? No, he's not because, yeah. yeah it just eases the burden because with, with so many people, it's just, yeah, a hard, hard one to manage. We're going to get one for you with GA on it. What's what's that mean? Is it like you know, goal? Um, hang on, yeah, goal uh, attack. Yeah, goal attack. Yeah, 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 thanks for that. I wanted, I wanted one. This I is, that one too made up for you. Huh? I want VIP. Oh, okay. Can I yeah, VIP? Right. I, you know, I think I deserve my own little area with some slaves <laughs> looking after me, making sure that I'm fed, yeah. and you know, getting my camera gear ready for me. I think that'd be perfect. You, know? you can claim the tool at Saturday night. That's the best I can offer. Oh, <laughs> I don't know. I don't know whether I'll take up that offer or not. Now, okay, to, to, to round this off, um, stay tuned on the valleyradioflyers.com.au website. That's valleyradioflyers, F-L-Y-E-E-R-S.com.au website to see what's happening with it. The, the committee's got to make some pretty important decisions as to whether to run it this year or not. We're, fingers crossed that you can. It's, it's just all over the shop. It's just so hard for... For anybody trying to organise an event at the moment under the COVID situation, uh, it's just it's just like just when you think 
that we're in the clear and we've got everything under control, then we have a massive outburst like we've got now through, well, as, as we talk, Victoria is locked down, New South Wales and South Australia is is about to be in lockdown. And uh, so movement, moving around is not good at all. Uh, so uh, all and that's what we're worried about. Yeah, that's what we're worried about. Like, you know, if we do come out of lockdown, look, what sort of restrictions on numbers and uh, how many we can, we can have, um, you know, in an area and who, who can travel from where? Because, I mean, we get a lot of contestants from New South Wales. So, um, yeah. And, and it's, it's a real hard one. It's not looking good, but, um, you know, we're going to stay positive. Um, probably give it another week or two and we'll, we'll have to make some sort of decision. Yeah, well, look, everything, will, you know, if, you, if you're on Facebook, um, if you, even if you follow my, the Flat Out RC Facebook page, I'll share any news about the Mammoth event um, and keep an eye on that Valley Radio Flyers uh, website as well. So fingers crossed. Now, if if it doesn't happen this year, it's going to happen again uh, and you'll try every year. So, you know, it, it, we're pumping the tyres up for the event this year, but, um, you know, it's not going anywhere and nor should it. Like we, the hobby needs this event. It's one of those events that motivates people to keep on building large scale models Um and we're seeing a bit of resurgence with some some kit building and that kind of thing with laser cut kits, um, you know, being made up and that kind of thing. So it's a really a place for the aspiring builder to bring their model and, and share that model with them and uh, I encourage people to, that are into that kind of thing to build their models and bring them to Shepparton so that we can all stare at them and just admire them. And it, it, it just, you leave the event just feeling good. And I know it sounds like we're really trying to pump it up, but... Um, it doesn't need. I'm not trying to trying to do it just to for the sake of doing it. It's yeah. You know, I I just think that it's just one of those events that is such an important one on our our calendar. So pass it on to the uh, team and tell them we'd love to see it. Even if it's, yeah. even if it's not all the bells and whistles that you need to have, to have something is better than nothing. Sometimes yeah. Uh, well, that, that, that's the other side of the coin. We yeah. We, we did, um, oh, well, like I say, we, we unfortunately we were supposed to have a sit down and, uh, um, yeah, uh, so we need to either do it in the um, correspondence and um, decide whether we, yeah, we put something on for some flyers and, and put the basics uh, because, you know, we've got advertising, you know, we've got um, food to organise, you know, there's toilet showers and, you know, there's, there's things Lots to Lots of little things. And, and as you said, little, um, your team works so hard that weekend. And people don't understand how many how many people are there doing it. Um, for for, for uh, and, and and another thing, you know, like I say uh, earlier on, you know, could we improve and do this? Yeah, look, you, you can, but for the, the the limited amount of help that we've got and the effort that that, that our guys put in, um, I've got to give it to them because um, you know it's it's a big weekend for them. And, uh, just preparing you know, the field, like the field's immaculate. Yeah. Mammoth Castle, our field manager Lee, he's, he's just passionate about it, and uh, he, you know, he's out there all the time, just cutting it. And, and if you, everything's mowed now. We we mow the whole lot, and it's all an open area, and you know, we, we spray it and do do our best with it. So um, you know, to try and get it to to a, to a standard that yeah. But look, we're improving all the time. We're neatening the place up. But, um, you know, we're getting it tidier every every year. <laughs> it's getting no, better. It's, so. looking, it's looking really good. But, you know, like I said, it's a lot of work for, for the for the field manager, he's done yeah. a terrific job. And so. as I mentioned earlier, it means a lot to the club for people to turn up. And yes, there is a pilot's fee. If I still got the flyer open. There is a pilot's fee. It's $45 for pre-entry or $50 on the day for you to bring your plane. And uh, 
have a bit of a fly and that again that is um you know if you think that you it's it's an exorbitant cost just remember it's actually going to fund the development of the field it's not going into les's pocket so that les can go and buy <laughs> jet a1 for his turbine he can worry about that he can afford to do that for his business or whatever but this is going to the club to help them uh you know keep on building better facilities you know yeah that and we can, we can all enjoy yeah, um, I, can't, I can't even remember when it was. Yeah, it wasn't anything but forty-five. Um, you know, and and that's another thing. Back in the day, that would have been a very lot of money. Back in the, yeah. yeah, you know, back in the uh, when they started. Well, I'm I'm sure that it's been forty-five as long as I can remember. So, but obviously involved in the early, early stages. But yeah, we 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 have um, some people say that, you know the entry fee is too high. But um, I was looking at a uh, motorbike event that's uh, happening in Wangaratta uh, dirt bike event and, uh, you know, sort of open to the public kind of thing, bit of a fun kind of event. And they're charging $350 and it's basically a one day, yeah. one day thing, 350 bucks. And they've got 600 competitors signed up already. They sold out <laughs> in half an hour and they had yeah. 600 people turn up. Um, and I thought, gee, you know, they'll make money mm-hmm. out of it. And uh, it's, um, it's a pretty big fee to, to, to charge. I'm not sure where they spend the money. And that's just to, to go to somebody's farm kind of thing and, yeah, mm. track, so. A very generous member, uh, Bruce Clark. He's donated um, the. We have a um, pre-entry prize, so anyone that pre-enters, um, uh, because you know, like we, we we basically started this through encouraging people to pre-enter, so we can you know have them organised, have, have all the paperwork and process. Um, and he's he's donated, like you know, hanging on um, thirty cc stick. Uh, there was another ARF last year. Don't quote me on it. I don't think it's hanging on. One before, I believe, was a hanging on. Yeah. I think it um, was. You know, he, he's done those. Um, you know, um, you know, we've had help from yourself. Like, you know, three years ago, we, uh, you know, we didn't have a website. I didn't know what, to, you know, what to do on the computer illiterate, basically. So, um, someone mentioned uh, uh, a gentleman by the name of Andrew Sill that may be able to help us out. Yeah, he's a good-looking um, guy, that Andrew Sill, full head of hair, <laughs> strong-looking. Uh, yeah, we really uh, appreciate what you've done for us. Um, you know, just off, the, you know, off the bat, you know, you you, you did it, and uh, we really appreciate. It. And that's what keeps. That's how our club. That's how our club survives and runs. Is uh, you know, we're not we're not all that um, financial, so. Oh, sorry. We we're financially okay. Yeah, <laughs> no you need, but it, it, you need a lot of these clubs, especially the country clubs, have to revolve around volunteers, and I think they're um, exactly. And that's, yeah, that's where I mean, you know, like our, our guys just do a terrific job so for the amount that blokes that are there, and you know, it, it's hard just getting um, you know people to go on the gate and what because we just don't have the numbers. So you know, we've got wives that work in the canteen; they they volunteer and. Um, Yep, they make it all happen, and uh, they're very passionate about it. So, it's a good club. You know, there's a good vibe around the club. The culture of the club sounds really good, and it is a kind of, as I said earlier, you know, if you ever want to go for have a good day out, drive up to Shepherd and go to the uh, the field out at Caramomus and uh, Valley Radio Flies. It's good you can get on the Google, type in Valley Radio Flies, and it shows up. And you just press OK, give me directions, let's go there, which is uh, which is handy for me. But um, now Les. There's a question that I ask everybody at the end of the podcast, and it's a signature move that I've got, and everybody can't wait to hear people's answers. And that question is, what has been your all-time favourite model? 
the the CM Pro um, Giles two hundred two with the OS one sixty. It's been my yeah most favourite model and most, probably most flown. I've heard those. You're not the first person to tell me that a Giles flies well. Uh, there's a, there's a few people in the IMAX scene I think that are trying to build some Giles and, uh, and for that very reason that they sort of very precise airframe, a bit like a pattern kind of plane. Yeah, they are. yeah. for sure. Nice long tail moment, and you know, at knife edge, it does everything just spot on. You know, you roll it inverted. It, you know, it's it, it just you just breathe on the on the elevator and you can hold it there. It just does everything nice. It, um, uh, no, it's been a very, very rewarding aeroplane for me. I'd, I'd have to put that there, yeah, high on my high on my priority list. Oh, yeah. Being an aerobatics guy, I really endorse your uh, your uh, choice of models. <laughs> you know, I'm always a big fan <laughs> of um, aerobatic planes. Well, Les, it's, yeah. it's been a pleasure having you on the podcast and um, finding out more about your history in the hobby. And, and I think that the number one word that, that – I can sum you up is a passion that there's this passion for the hobby that you've got, not only from a flying perspective, from an administration perspective as well, because it's not easy, you know, being a leader in a club, um, you know, sometimes you've got to make some tough decisions and, and, and lead the troops and, um, and, and often do a lot of heavy lifting as well. And so um, thank you. Thank you from, from everybody that, you know, heads down the mammoth event, you know, a big thank you to you and plus the other great members there. You've got a good crew behind you as well, supporting you. So um, a big thank you for everything that you do for us. Yep. No worries. And I'd just like to thank everybody that, that, that comes because that's another thing that makes the event is the, the actual pilots. I think without them, we certainly uh, wouldn't have anything. So I, I'd like to take this thing to thank, thank everybody. And uh, yeah, uh, hopefully we can have it for this year. Well, there you have it. The uh, 18th and 19th of September, 2021, the 39th Mammoth Scale Flying. Cross your fingers, it's going to be on. Stay tuned. We'll uh, keep you informed. Uh, and basically, we should just call it the one big, uh, it's a big love-in. It's the error modeling love-in. That's what we can rebrand it. Anyway, thanks, Les. Thanks for joining me. And uh, looking forward to Touchwood, hopefully catching up with you at the field in September. No worries. Thank you, Andrew. About to leave. Already packing, come with me, I'm not really asking, we'll get away to a place where we don't know. Another episode of the Flat Out RC podcast done and dusted, big thank you to Les Sawyer for joining me, what a great guy, uh, really loves his hobby and uh, is doing his bit to help uh, the flying scene in his area of Shepparton. Uh, and look, if, if the event's not on this year, you'll be back. Uh, it just gives you more time to build some great models. And, and in, one thing I'd like to do is, if any of you are looking to come to the event, bring your best models. Share uh, share your great models. It's, it's not necessarily just about the flying at such an event. It's about people coming in, getting some motivation from seeing some really nice planes and some, some enjoyment. Uh, it's not showing off. Some people think, oh, it's just showing off of bringing the planes so that people can look at them. It's not. It's... It's an event where it's our show and shine event that you know car guys know all about, where you're just sharing that model with others, uh, you know, giving them some enjoyment. And I think we all go around and go, "Oh, that guy thinks it's great because he's got a nice plane." It's nah. We want to see those great planes. That's what we're there for. We don't want to see you know just the average Joe planes just every day at the flying field. So. Stay tuned for that. Uh, more to come. Flat RC keeps on rolling on. Don't forget to subscribe to this podcast. 
Don't forget to subscribe to our YouTube channel, our Instagram page, and our Facebook, of course. There's always something happening in the land of Flat Out RC. And a big thank you to all of you for joining me once again, and especially those that keep on coming back week after week. You know who you are. Another good episode coming up next week. I'll be talking a bit of aerobatics next week. Anyway, talk to you then. Thank you.